Mark chapter 12. We're going to read a well-known story in the 12th chapter of Mark. I'll let you find it and look up this way and I'll say a word and uh, then we'll read together. Anybody here tonight was not here this morning besides the pastor? Anybody here tonight, you were not here this morning, couple, all right? Real quickly then, and this is the last day I'll take your time to do it, but I want you to meet my wife so you can know her. So, pal, would you stand up, please? My wife, Mary, and we have three kids. They're all grown and gone. Um, And after the service, if you'd like to see pictures of our grandchildren, Mary has about 2,000. So you you can see them all after the service. They'll be fine. Okay, Tuesday night, listen carefully, Tuesday night in the revival service, I'll be privileged to preach, but also Mary will sing, my wife, in sign language. My sister is deaf, and so we work with deaf people at the ranch, and singing in signs is beautiful, and she will sing in signs. You'll hear my daughter-in-law sing um, on a CD, and you'll see Mary sing. That will be in the service on Tuesday night. Also, in that service, we'll show a brief uh, DVD of the Bill Rice Ranch during weeks for the deaf. So keep that in mind. All right, that's Tuesday night. Mary will sing. We'll show a DVD. You'll see a week at the ranch. That's a camp that we have in the United States uh, in Tennessee, which is in the south. And we have couple hundred deaf people every summer, and you'll see a week with people who are deaf. All right? That will be Tuesday night. Tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. What is tomorrow night? Do you remember? Sunday school night. Right. And tomorrow night, our teachers, there are five of them, will have everybody that comes to Sunday school in the church tomorrow night. Correct? And if they don't, what are we going to do with the teachers? Kick them out, right. We'll let them go to a Methodist church someplace, all right, uh, tomorrow night. So I think they'll have everybody here. And let me encourage you to be here. You know, the first weeknight in a week of meetings, the first weeknight is important because it helps to set the pattern of attendance for the rest of the week. So if we have good attendance on Monday night, we'll have good attendance on Tuesday and Wednesday as well. So tomorrow night... We start at 7 o'clock. I will be finished preaching by at least what time? 8 o'clock. I don't care if the pastor, if we have music and singing and take five offerings, and if I get up at 5 till 8, you just come and see. If I get up at 5 till 8, we'll, I'll be finished at 8 o'clock. I will be finished at 8 o'clock. And I'm doing that on purpose. Now, I will probably get up it's 6.29 uh, right now, so I'll probably get up about 7.25. So I probably will be finished about 5 or 6 or 7 or 8 minutes till 8. After I'm finished, we'll have an invitation. So I don't know exactly the time that we'll get out. And don't tell people that we'll get out at 8. But you can tell them I'll be finished preaching at 8, and I will be. And I'm doing that so that as you invite people and you say... Now, we'd like to have you here, and they'll say, well, we'd love to come, but the kids have school, and so we can't do it. You just tell them, the preacher will be finished preaching.
by 8 o'clock. All right? All right, okay. And then you'll be yourself. How many of you here are planning on being here tomorrow night? Can I see your hand, please? Wonderful. How many of you don't care about God, don't care about the church, don't care about Ireland, and you are not coming tomorrow night? Can I see your hand, please? No, all right, so everybody, <laughs> everybody will be here. Do any of you work? Any of you work where you really can't come tomorrow night? Okay, okay. Anybody else? All right. And nobody's planning on getting sick, right? Okay. So we'll see you tomorrow night. And our goal, I think we have over 70 tonight. That's wonderful. And our goal is to have at least 76 tomorrow night. All right? Because the pastor thought we might have 75 and I want to have at least one more, all right? When I get back home to the States, people will say, how many folks came out to the revival service? And I will say, one more than the pastor expected. Okay, now you got your Bibles? Got your Bibles? Here's a wonderful story in Mark chapter 12. Let me read it for you, all right? Look down in Mark chapter 12, and let's begin reading with verse 41. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast into the treasury and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow and she threw in two mites which make a farthing. And he, Jesus, called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they that did cast into the treasury, they, they put money here, uh, they, they cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Father, help us tonight now as we look at this passage of Scripture. Help me as I preach. Be with my friends as they listen. And may we submit ourselves to the Bible in order that we'll clearly understand what you've said, I pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. The Bible tells the story of Jesus in the temple at the treasury. Now, I'd, I don't know that it actually happened like this, but I've often pictured Jesus standing over against the treasury. That is the place where people cast in their tithes and offerings. And he watched people that put their money in this place. And the Bible says there were many who were rich who cast in much. But then a poor widow. And this is interesting to me because to be a widow in the New Testament time meant to be poor. But just so we don't miss it, the Bible says, a poor widow came and cast in two mites. And that equals, the Bible says, a farthing. I have to, I have to chuckle when I read that because I don't know how much a mite is. Do you? I don't know how much a mite is. A small amount of money. But for those of us from Tennessee who don't know what a mite is, the Bible tells us that two of them make a farthing. Does that help you? 
me either. I don't know how much a farthing is, but it's a small amount. So this widow came, and she cast into the treasury two mites, which equal a farthing. And Jesus said, you know, she has put more in the offering than all of these people who cast in much because she gave of her want. The word means penury. It means poverty. She gave of her want, and she gave all of her living. So while many gave much who were rich, she gave of her poverty, her want, and she gave all that she had, even her living. Now, I want us to see three things tonight from this simple story, all right? First, I want you to think about the widow. A widow in Ireland, in our day and time, does not constitute a lady of despair. Now, I, I understand that a widow means a woman who's lost her husband. And so there would be sadness, would there not? But if a, a woman is made a widow in Ireland or in the United States, she can still be fine. She can still do well. In the first place, she can get a job. Now, it's not easy in these hard economic times to get a job, but all things being equal, it's probably as easy for a woman as it would be for a man. And in this day and time, if you're a widow, you can still earn a living. And a widow in this day and time would be helped with what we call the safety net, meaning that if she was a widow and she couldn't have a job, the government would help care for her. Now, by the way, can I, can I just say this? I know I'm a visitor. I know, I know I'm not uh, Irish. I know that. But I think it's better for the church to take care of people in need than for the government to. But nonetheless, in our day and time, if a woman couldn't get a job or do well, the government would help her out. So a widow in our day and time is not necessarily a woman that's desperate. But that wasn't true in the Bible. In Bible times, men worked. Women took care of the home. Now, no matter what you think about that, my point is that's the way they did it. So that if the husband and wage earner died, there was really no way for the lady to take care of herself. In fact, when the apostle wrote to Timothy about the church and matters in the church, he said to Timothy, you know, take care of widows who are widows indeed. That meant widows who didn't have children that could provide for them. Because if a widow had a son, he could get a job, take care of his family, and take care of his mom. But if a widow was a widow indeed, that meant she had no way to care for herself, and so the church was to take care of her. And back in the book of Deuteronomy, the Bible deals in the 11th chapter with the need of widows. I love this because the Bible speaks there to the children of Israel about caring for orphans, fatherless children, and widows. So here, here's the point. If you were a widow in the day in which Jesus walked on this earth, 
You had no way to take care of yourself. And when the Bible says she gave all, that's exactly what it means. It means everything she had, she gave. And not only did she give everything she had, but she had no way of getting more. And that's the picture. See, she was a widow. She was a poor widow. Meaning that there was no way that this lady could provide for herself. No way she could. She was a widow who gave all. And then the Bible says, not only did she give all that she had, but she gave of her living. In other words, you get the picture here? This woman gave everything that she had. She gave everything that she could hope to have in the future. She was a widow. That's number one. Here's number two. She gave. She gave. Okay. You say, Bill, was she poor? Yes. Was she a widow? Yes. Did she have no way of getting money? Yes. But she gave. I was working on a message about uh, maybe five years ago. I was working on a message for teenagers. And I wanted to work on a message for teenagers about giving. You, you think teenagers should give? Okay, I do too, and here's why. Because in Luke 6, the Bible says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Now, to whom, that was Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus said, Give, to whom do you think he was talking? Well, was he talking to men? Yes. All right, you think he was talking to women? Okay, you think he was talking to teens? He didn't say, give, unless you're a teenager. Give, unless you're poor. Jesus said, in Luke 6, give. Now, the Bible says that elsewhere. But the point is, I was thinking about the passage, and I thought, who is included in the group of people that should give? Okay, if Jesus said, give, and that includes teenagers then you would assume that the Bible assumes teenagers can give. Doesn't that make sense? Bob Jones Sr. was an evangelist in the last century in the United States of America. And Bob Jones Sr. used to say, back of God's commands, he puts omnipotence. In other words, anything that God commands you to do, God will empower, enable you to do. Does that make sense? Okay. So, if the Bible says, teenager, give. Boy or girl, give. Wife, give. Husband, give. Widow, give. It means the Bible assumes that you can. In other words, God's not going to ask you to do something you can't do. If, if I said to you tonight, how rich are you? Well, wouldn't you say not very? Wouldn't that be true of all of us? Okay. So, when the Bible commands that we give, it assumes that we can. And she could, couldn't she? Couldn't she give? All right. Now, suppose I said, but wait a minute, she was a widow. How could she give? Well, it's not the point. The point is she did. 
Suppose I say, wait a minute. Where did she get her money? That's not the issue. The issue is she was told or she was able to give. Are you following this? So here's a widow. She was poor. She was poverty stricken. But she gave. Number one, she was a widow. Number two, she gave. Number three, how do you reconcile number one and number two? In other words, how do you explain number one and number two? Uh, if, if I get up and say, here is a woman that was a widow. She gave of her poverty. She had nothing. And then I say, anybody can give because the Bible commands that we give. And this widow gave. How do you reconcile the two? How do you explain the fact that she was a widow, but she was able to give? That's number three. Number one, she was a widow. Number two, she gave. <laughs> number three, how in the world could she? How was she able to? And here's the answer. She trusted God. She trusted God. She lived by faith. Now, what does it mean to live by faith? What does it mean to live by faith? Have you ever said of somebody, boy, what a fine person, he's living by faith. Have you ever thought that? For example, I, I often think of this. I think in the States of a missionary, a missionary who comes to your church in the States, and in the States, missionaries always drive vans. I don't know about here in Ireland, but in the States, missionaries always drive vans. And in the States, when missionaries drive vans, they always have at least 240,000 miles on the van with the original tires. So they drive a van with 240, you know what a van is, don't you? You call them vans here? Okay, so they drive a van. And in the States, missionaries always have at least nine kids. When, when you come to a mission board in the States, they say to you, do you believe the Bible? Yes. Have you been saved? Yes. Have you been scripturally baptized? Yes. Do you have at least nine kids? Yes. Then you can be a missionary. Okay. So here comes this guy to your church in the United States. He has nine kids. He has a van that has 240,000 miles. You know how many kilometers that is, don't you? 240,000 miles is about 3 million kilometers. Okay. So he's got 240,000 miles. He's got a kids, and the guy drives up into the church, and you say, that missionary is living by faith. Okay, what's the word faith mean? Well, in the New Testament, the word faith and the word believe are the same word. Did you know that? They are. Faith is the noun form. If I have a body of faith, that means I have a body of believing. 
Believe is the verb form. If, if I'm believing, it's like saying, I'm faithing. Now, we don't say, I'm faithing, because when you say you're faithing, the way you say it is by saying, I'm believing. Everybody with me? Okay. So, faith means to believe. Well, what does it mean to believe? It means to rely upon or trust in. So, if I have faith, it means I'm trusting in or believing a promise that God has made. All right. What promise of God does this missionary hold that has eight kids or nine kids and a van with 240,000 miles with the original tires? What promise of God is he resting in? If he's living by faith, what promise is he resting in? And here's the answer. Um, for example, in Philippians chapter 4, the Bible says, My God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You remember the verse? 418, 419. Okay. My God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Okay. Somebody says, isn't that wonderful? God promises always to meet our needs. But that's not a general promise to everybody. It is a specific promise to a certain church and then by application to us if we're like that church. Alright, so what was the church to which God made the promise? My God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory Christ Jesus in Christ Jesus. Well, the church was the church at Philippi. Okay, what kind of church was the church at Philippi? Well, in Philippians chapter 4, the same chapter that says, My God shall supply your needs. In Philippians chapter 4, the apostle said to the church, You know, when nobody else cared about the ministry that I'm involved in, you people did. When nobody else would support the cause of Christ in my ministry, you people would. And because you people gave, my God will supply your need. Okay, now you still following me? God promises to provide the need of those who give. Now let me, let me give you another example of this. In Galatians 6, the Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also, help me out, reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in what kind of doing? Well doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And here's a promise that if I sow, I will reap. Now that promise is given in the larger context in Galatians of the matter of giving. In that same chapter, the Apostle by inspiration says, uh, let, let the person who hears the Bible preached, who's fed from Bible truth, let him give or share with, communicates the word used, share with the person who's preached. In other words, you come to this church and the pastor stands up and preaches, 
then it is the obligation of God's people to take care of their pastors. Is this making sense? Okay. By the way, do you? You're supposed to. Alright. So you're supposed to take care of the preacher. And here's what it says. It says, look, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. What you sow, you reap. Now, it's not just talking about giving. It's talking about your life. Because if you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you reap life everlasting. And then the Bible says, don't be weary in well-doing or good-doing, for in due season you'll reap if you faint not. In other words, look, believe God about this. If you sow spiritually, you'll reap spiritually. Let me give you one more example. Luke chapter 6. Jesus said, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down and shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, it shall be measured unto you again. Now, now do you see what the promise is? Okay, a person who lives by faith has more to do with your giving than it does your receiving. A person who lives by faith believes that if he gives, God will take care of him. Okay, can I say this again? A person who lives by faith believes that if he gives, God will take care of him. Okay, somebody says, I believe that if I give, God will take care of me, but I don't think you should give just to get. Have you ever heard this? I believe that if I give, God will take care of me, but I don't believe you should give just to get. Have, have you got any money on you? Like a bill? Could I borrow it? I, I'll give it back, I promise. You are my witnesses. Okay. Okay. Alright, let's see what we have here. Five euros. Okay. I, I'm now wealthy. Uh, Northern Ireland, this is worth how many pounds? Four pounds. And in the United States of America, this is worth $300. Is that true? No. Okay. All right. Okay. Here we go. The Bible says that if I give... you you believe the Bible? Okay. The Bible says if I give, what will happen? I will receive. All right. Well, somebody says, yes, Bill, that's true, but you shouldn't give for the purpose of receiving. Why not? Why not? Why should I be cute about it? Why, why should I give, and, and here's my children around me, and I give, and God gives back, and I say, oh, my goodness, I, I, I wonder where that came from. Does that help anybody? Should I believe what God says or not? All right. So if I give, I should expect to... Okay. But somebody says, yeah, Bill, but I still don't feel good about this. Because I don't think you should give just to get. Well, let me ask you a question. If a person is a giver, and therefore he is a receiver... What will he do with that which he receives? Is that true? If a person is a giver and he receives, 
What will he do with that which he receives? And the answer is, why? Because he believes God that in his giving, God provides for him so that, among other things, he can once again give. Somebody says, well, do you think you should give so you could get a BMW? You know what a BMW is, don't you? Okay. Should a person give to get a BMW? If a person is a giver, he won't be concerned about getting a BMW. He will be concerned about being able to be a giver. Now listen to this. This is Tennessee English, but listen to it. See if it makes sense to you. This is the way my son says it. You ever learn things from your kids? Okay, this is the way Will says it. This is great. Will says, the giver will always be able to. Can I say that again? The giver will always be able to. Okay, always be able to what? Give. Okay, see God's promise? Give, and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, with all it shall be measured you again. A giver gives, believing God that he will be able to give because he gives. Are you all watching me? I'm giving this back. I can't believe I'm doing it, but I did. All right. Okay. Now, suppose the church has a need. Let's say the need of the church is um, uh, to fix up something in the building. We came in this morning, and the battery had gone dead in the little thermostat, so the heat wasn't on. Now, we're in Ireland, so we walked in, and it was freezing cold. I just thought it was normal because we're in Ireland, so I figured, what's the worry about? But the pastor and everybody, hey, we've got to get the heat on. So everybody was concerned. pastor went across the street or someplace and bought a battery and, and fixed it. So suppose the pastor says we need to buy a new heating system. And it's going to cost us, I'm making all this up, 6,000 euros. Okay, you still with me? Okay. And you say, boy, I would love to give to help the church with the heating system. I, I just can't. Okay, now look at me. Why can't you? Because you don't. But if you did, you could. Is this making sense? See, if I am a... Haven't, haven't you ever come to church and the pastor says, you know, there's a real need in, um, in Europe. And we're going to have this mission team go to Europe. And there's a real need there. And we need to raise $1,000 for the need in Europe. H hasn't the church done things like this? Okay. And you think, wow, well, I'd, I'd like to give to that. But I, I just can't do it. Okay, why can't you do it? Because if you did give, you could give. If you can't give, that means you don't 
give. Now, look, people, look. I'm not trying to be cute tonight. This is what the Bible says. And God's people ought live by faith in what God says. Believing that if God has promised to care for my need, that He will. By the way, I've heard people say this who should know better. They will say, well, God has promised to supply your needs, but not your wants. Some of you people, you just go to God with all of your wants and you treat God like Santa Claus. God is not obligated to provide your wants. He only provides your needs. Well, that sounds good, but it's not what the Bible teaches. The psalmist said, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. See, God doesn't want Christians to be robots. Okay, Mr. Robot Christian, if you're desperate and you have a need, I'll provide it for you. God wants your wanter to be like His. God wants you to want what God wants. And as you come to God in prayer, asking God for that which you want, when you are in line with what God wants for you, ten times out of ten, you can have it. Now, it doesn't mean that, uh, well, sometimes God doesn't give us what we want. Isn't that true? Why not? Because we, we, what we want is not what He wants. But when I desire what God desires, God provides it. See, so it's not just that God provides only our needs. God wants us. God wants your wanter to be changed. God wants you to want what He desires. And as you come to God with needs or desires that you have that are in line with God's desires, then as you give, you receive, in order that you can give, in order that you receive, in order that you can give, in order that you can receive, in order that you can give. It really is what the Bible teaches. Okay, somebody says, but I don't have much. It's not the point. Because Jesus said of the widow that she gave of her want, her poverty, she gave all that she had, and Jesus said she gave more. Okay, how could she have given more than the rich who gave much? Well, she could give more than the rich who gave much because she could give a larger percentage. Okay. How many of you know who Steve Jobs was? Do you know? Okay. Steve Jobs is a computer genius who lived um, in a state called Washington in the U.S. who died a couple of weeks ago. He's the guy behind Apple and the iPhone. And Steve Jobs was a billionaire. All right. Steve Jobs could probably, he probably could have, had he desired, come to this church and given a thousand dollars. But almost anybody in this church could outgive Steve Jobs and his thousand dollars if you gave a percentage of what you have in comparison 
the percentage of what he had. You following this? Okay, so Steve Jobs gives $1,000. That's not much. But you can give easily a larger percentage. Have you ever said this? Have you ever said this? You know what? If I had 1 million euros, this church would get 100,000. Well, maybe 75,000. Well, actually, 50,000 euros is a lot of money. Okay, so if I had a million euros, this church would get 50,000 euros. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you have a million euros? No. You got 50 cents? How many people are worth <laughs> at least 50 cents? I think at last accounting, Mary and I were worth $1.72. So I'm worth more than 50 cents. Okay. How many people here think you have disposable income of at least 50 cents? You got that? Okay, not many of you, but some of you do. That's good. Some of you are not quite that wealthy. But, all right, for those of us who have 50 cents or more, could I give a percentage of 50 cents that would easily be more than Steve Jobs' $1,000 and the percentage of his wealth it represented? Could I do that? Okay, so the issue is not... What would I do if I had a million euros? The issue is, what will I do with the five euros I have tonight? Are you still with me? Okay, and that's what the Bible is teaching. Look, I can give. I can be a giver. And I can give in such a way that God would say, you know, this man gave more than many people who were rich and gave much. L listen to this statement. God's work is not supported by rich people. Are you listening? God's work is not supported by rich people. It is supported by godly people. Okay, now a godly man could be rich, could he not? Okay, but when he gives, he doesn't give because he's rich. He gives because he's godly. I probably have heard this literally a hundred times in my life. Bill, Bill, your son runs this camp for deaf kids. I know a millionaire who could give you $50,000 and he wouldn't even miss it. My dad used to say, if he's a millionaire he would probably miss it more quickly than you would, and that's one of the reasons he's a millionaire. Okay, but the point is not giving so that you don't even miss it. The point is giving of all that you have. See, I, I love this story because I honestly don't understand the amount that this woman gave. It probably in my country, would be like two pennies. Probably that or less in yours. I, I don't know exactly the amount that she gave, but I know this. She gave everything she had. Now listen to this. And she gave of her living. 
Okay. So what happened to the widow? Well, this is all the Bible tells us specifically about her. So let me tell you what I believe happened to this widow from just common sense. She was a widow, so she probably had some children. I think she still had a nine-year-old that was living at home. So after giving of her want, her penury, her poverty, and after giving all of her living and all that she had, she had nothing left. And she had no way to get anything else. And I think she went home and I think her daughter said to her, Mommy, I'm hungry. And I think the widow went to what we would call the cupboard and she opened the door and out of the cupboard she took what we would call a loaf of bread. Probably would look like uh, something made in Mexico in my thinking. Here's a round, maybe it would look like a pie, but it's, it's, actually, it's actually bread. And she would take out this loaf of bread and she would tear off, I'm thinking, a fourth of it. And she would take that piece of bread and divide it in two and give one piece to her daughter and eat the other piece herself. And they'd have some water and go to bed. The next day, her nine-year-old daughter came to her and said, Mommy, I'm hungry. And she said, I know you are, sweetheart. And she went and she got the three quarters of the loaf of bread that was left. And she took out another quarter. And she gave her daughter more than half of that. And she ate the other, leaving a half of a loaf. And they drank water. And that night they went to bed. The third day and the fourth day and the fifth day, the same thing happened. Mommy, I'm hungry. I know you are, sweetheart. And she would take the loaf of bread and what was left and give some to her daughter. After the third day, she took none herself. And all that was left, she simply divided up to her daughter. And after about a week, the daughter came to the mom and said, Mommy, I'm hungry. And the mommy said, I know you are, sweetheart. And here's the last of our bread. And she gave it to her. It was about a third of a quarter. And the little girl ate it. And she drank water and went to bed. When two weeks had passed, the little girl had gone to the streets and she had begged bread of people. And sometimes nice people or wealthy people or people with money or food would have given to this little girl. But soon that ended. There was no church to help. There was no government to help. There were no brothers or sisters to help. There were no sons of the widow to help. And after three weeks, the daughter became ill. In four weeks, she was very ill. And in six weeks, she was deathly ill. And the daughter died. A week and a half later, the mother who herself was starved, emaciated, 
and hungry, became ill. And within two weeks, she died. Is that what happened to this widow? Not if there's a God in heaven, it's not. Not if there's a God in heaven, this widow didn't die because there was no way for her to have sustenance for herself. You know what happened? I I really believe this. Now, I don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us, but here's what I believe happened. I believe the next week, the widow was back at the temple and she once again gave of all she had. You say, well, fine, Bill, but where did she get it? Why don't you tell me where she got it the first time? Where'd she get it? I'll tell you where she got it. God doesn't play games. And God means business. And when God says something, He means it. And when God says something, you can rest your life on it. You can trust what God says. And when God says, give, and it shall be given unto you, you write it down in black, and you underline it in red. If you give, you will be able once again to give. And don't you tell me the world economy is really in bad shape, and so I can't give. I know it's in bad shape. And don't you say to me, well, I don't have much of a job or much of an income, so I can't give. Let me tell you something. As long as there is a God in heaven, you can be a giver. And you should be. How much can you give? I don't know. It may be five euros. It may be five cents. It may be less than that. It may be more than that. What difference does it make? You can give in such a way that God from heaven would save you. You've given more than those who are rich who gave much. And I believe this, people. And I, I, Listen, if you know me, you'd know I believe this. I believe this with all my heart. I believe the last thing that should suffer in this, this worldwide depression of financial means is God's work. And it may be that my business will not do well if I were a business owner, or yours will not, or your job may not do well, or it may be that you don't have a job. But I'm telling you, the work of God in this place ought to be taken care of by the people of God. And I should come in saying, I believe with all my heart that if I give, God will provide so that I can give. And I leave this place believing that God can use me to provide for His work. How rich were the people at Philippi? You you realize all the stuff we have? You realize all the things we have? I mean, you, you can be sitting in this service tonight without a job, Um, without hope of a job in the near future, without any skills for a job, and probably you're not starving. I'm 68. In my lifetime, I've never had a day where I went to bed at night hungry, because there was nothing to eat and hurting because I was hungry. Now, there's some people in this room probably that have. 
I'm not saying nobody's like that. I'm just saying it's not the norm. And probably there are people in this room that have gone to bed of a night with a body that yearned for food. It's probably true. But it's not real common, is it? You know, in America, this I, sometimes this tickles me and sometimes it makes me mad. In America, we're told that there are a certain number of people that are starving. I, I've never met them. Oh, you say, yeah, but they're out there, Bill. They're, they're people that are hungry. Okay, they, they may be, but in the year 2011, a lot more of us in the, quote, civilized world, or in a Europe and in America, a lot more of us have a lot more than we absolutely have to have to exist. Isn't that true? Your kids have more than two toys apiece? Most dads have more than two toys apiece. Um, when, when, when we talk about eating, um, I've eaten like a pig this week. You, you, you talk about eating, we're not talking about, I've got to have food so I can live. If, if we were, we wouldn't care about what the food looked like, would we? Today, for dessert, we had a cake. And on the cake was, is it called an icing panel on the top? Icing. And on top of the icing, there were some flowers. Now, they weren't real flowers because that wouldn't taste good, but these were little flowers made of icing that the pastor's daughter made. And we sat there and looked at the cake and said, isn't that beautiful? It's so beautiful. No, it's not the right word. It's glorious. It's glorious here in Dublin to eat this cake that has flowers on the top. This is so... In fact, Mary had a piece of cake that didn't have a flower on it. And the hostess took it back. Give to that woman a piece of cake with a flower. And they gave her one with a flower. So we all left dinner today saying, not only did we have a meal, but we had dessert. And not only did we have dessert, but we had cake. And not only did we have cake, but we had cake with flowers. Okay, isn't that the way we live? I don't want that cake. No, 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 no. Don't want that cake. Where's the flower? Get the flower on the cake. I've got to have the flower on the cake. Isn't that the way we live? Most of us have much by the standards of history. Do we not? How many of you people have traveled outside of Ireland? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? How many of you people came from countries of origin other than Ireland? Isn't that amazing? You got here because you wanted to come. Or because the law was after you and you had to come. I don't know which. Okay. So you got here because, I mean, we're, we're, just, we're just common people, aren't we? Well, we're common people from all over the world who for one reason or another desired to go to Ireland and we came. I called Delta Airlines today. I want everybody here to write a letter to Delta Airlines. <laughs> Not really. I called Delta Airlines today because we couldn't get a seat assigned flying back. And uh, I called up today and the man said, 
Well, I've got some good news and some bad news. <laughs> I thought this is going to be great. The guy had a French accent. So already I don't like him. <laughs> no, that's not true. Okay. So he said, um, uh, Mr. Rice, is your name William? Yes. Well, he said, William, uh, I have some good news and some bad news. Wait a minute. That's Dublin. I got to. I'm sorry, I lost my French accent. Okay. Um, Francois. <laughs> do you have these? Okay, so. All right. I, I, oh, yeah, that's my name. Okay, so good news or bad news? Good news, I can get you on the flight. Well, I already bought a ticket, and the ticket says I'm guaranteed a flight back to the States. Bad news is you can sit on 25F. And your wife can sit on 25G. Excuse me, 26G. So she can sit a row behind you, or you can sit a row behind your wife, but you can't sit together. And I am mad. Now, I didn't tell the guy on the phone, because I'm supposed to be a good guy. But I was mad. Okay, what am I mad about? Am I mad because I cannot go back to America? No. Am I mad because I cannot fly back to America on a super jet? No. I'm mad because I can't sit in the same row with my wife. Isn't that what we're like? I know my rights. Put me on the next row. <laughs> That's, isn't that what our life is taken up with? Any, anybody here going to go to bed tonight worrying whether or not You'll live through tomorrow because of your need for food. Let me ask you a question. Has God been good to you? Okay, you live by faith. Are you willing to go to God and say, Dear God, I'm going to trust you with what you have given to me. And I believe, dear God, that if I give, I will receive in order that I can give. Let's be givers. Bow, please, for prayer. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm going to ask the pastor to stand with me. No one else will be looking around. And we're not going to have any music for a few minutes. I'd like to ask a couple of questions. All right. Now, heads bowed. No one looking save the pastor and myself. How many people here would say, Brother Bill, as we looked at Mark chapter 12 tonight, and as we thought about Philippians chapter 4 and Galatians chapter 6, God spoke to my heart about giving. God spoke to my heart about supporting the ministry that God has raised up here in Dublin. And you'd say, with God's help, I want to leave this place tonight with an attitude and thinking different about giving than what I had when I came in. And you'd say, Brother Bill, pray with me, please. Now, let, let me repeat the question so you'll understand it clearly. Heads are bowed. How many people would say, Brother Bill, as we look tonight at Mark 12 and Philippians 4 and Galatians 6 and Matthew 6, God spoke to my heart about my giving. And I want this night to be a turning point in my life in the business of giving. I'm going to leave this church tonight 
with a different attitude and different thinking about giving than I had when I came in. And you'd say, pray with me and for me. Would you slip a hand up wherever you're seated? Right now, real high. Real high. Would you please? Wonderful. Thank you. You can put them down. Are there others? Now, don't raise your hand again if you already have. But are there others? And you'd say, Brother Bill, as we looked at the Bible tonight, God spoke to my heart about the matter of giving. And I want to leave this place different in my attitude and actions about giving than I was when I came in. And you'd say, pray with me and for me, please. Would you slip a hand up? Anyone else? Anyone else at all? All right, God bless you. Good, good. Anyone else? Okay, everybody look right here, would you? Look right here. Everybody look right here. Let me tell you what we're going to do. If I were to say, look, if God spoke in your heart, slip to the nearest aisle, come down here and pray about it, I think you would. And sometimes we do that for the purpose of encouraging in testimony God's people in a church. But here's what I'd like to do. I'd like for us in a moment to bow for prayer. And if you raised your hand and God spoke into your heart, I'd like you to pray about it. And here's the way we'll do it. You just stand your feet right where you are. In a moment. Not now. You just stand your feet where you are. When you have stood, I will pray for us corporately. Would that be all right? I pray for us as a church. In other words, you're saying, God spoke my heart to have a different attitude and different actions in my giving. You stand your feet. I'll pray for all of us. After I've finished praying, you just pray where you're standing. Now don't pray out loud so we won't disrupt anybody else. But you just pray where you're standing. When you're finished praying, you be seated. When the last person's been seated, pastor will take the service and conclude it. Make sense? What we'll do is, in a moment, we'll bow for prayer. If God spoke in your heart, I'll ask you to stand. I'll pray for those of us standing. In fact, I'll probably count and let people know who's standing just to be encouragement to all of us. And then I'll pray. When I'm finished, you pray. Just in your heart, you pray. When you're finished, you be seated. When the last person has been seated, pastor will close the service. Okay? Let's bow. Can we bow, please? If God spoke in your heart, would you stand right now to your feet? I count 15. Anybody else? There's 16. There's 17. Anyone else? Okay. Dear God, You know our hearts, of course, better than we do. And You know what we've heard tonight from what You've said. And I pray, dear Lord, that You'll help us to leave this place determined through Your provision to be givers. And may we live by faith and believe what You've said and live our life in light of it. I ask for Jesus' sake. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. You go ahead and pray. When you finish praying, you just be seated.